Dear Quest Podcast, Fund's Industry Conversations. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Quest Podcast with me, Danny Lawler. For this episode, I'm joined by James Lasry of Hassan's. He is a financial services lawyer based in Gibraltar, and very interestingly, has experience on regulated crypto funds. The regime in Gibraltar is quite a bit ahead of most of the jurisdictions. They even have a corporate governance code for uh, designed specifically for crypto funds. So uh, I thought it would be really interesting to chat to somebody who's a bit further down the tracks than a lot of us in terms of understanding how regulators and providers might approach the authorization and supervision of crypto funds and how they would address the issues such as safekeeping of crypto assets. It all being very topical at the moment. So sit back, enjoy, listen, and uh, glean some insights from James as he talks us through the crypto fund world in Gibraltar. The Equest Podcast, Funds Industry Conversations. Hi, James. You're very welcome to the Equest Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Great to be here. James, you're based in Gibraltar. I hope you're having a summer summer as opposed to what we have here in Ireland which is the cloudy summer oh yes but but it's it's lovely in Ireland but in Gibraltar uh it it is very warm this is very warm okay well that's why we head in in that general direction en masse in the summertime you have connections here to Ireland yourself with the IOB course absolutely um but it but it's it's much before that I'm 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 originally a New Yorker and in, in New York, Irish is part of the national identity, or, the, or at least the, the, the city identity. Um, and so one of the fantastic things about being a New Yorker is that you adopt the, the many identities that make up the cosmopolitan uh, reality of New York. Uh, and so uh, uh, Irish is, <laughs> is a very, very important part of that. And so when I had the opportunity to go to Dublin to study at the IOB to uh, study for a, a certified investment funds director course, I, I jumped at it because uh, uh, it's an area which I which I have been practicing for over twenty years, and uh, but also the, the possibility of doing it in Dublin was just too too good to miss. Uh, you're you're a financial services lawyer in Hassan's in Gibraltar. Uh, how did you how did you end up there, uh, James? Well, my mother actually was born in Gibraltar, and she sent me there for the summers as a boy, and I fell in love with it. And then on vacation once uh, after law school, uh, I was offered a, a job for a year. And I said, sure, why not? And I'm still there 23 years later. <laughs> Good man. And more than that, James, you're a crypto funds lawyer. Uh, how did that come about? Well, I, I have to, uh, to to thank my PA, um, uh, Clara Bullen, at the time. Uh, I asked her six, five years ago whether she thought I had time to do this Oxford course on fintech and blockchain. And she looked at me and she said, you'd be an idiot not to do it. So, wow. <laughs> so, I, um, uh, so, 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 so I so I took the courses and I realized that this was going to be very important. And shortly thereafter, we had a lot of demand uh, from clients for, to, to set up crypto funds and DLT licenses and, and, um, and all of the crypto offerings that are available in Gibraltar. Yeah, and I'm really interested to get into that with you, James. Mm-hmm. Obviously, 
internationally, crypto funds are of interest, and, and particularly here in Ireland, we are interested in how they might work. Um, but in, just to give us a sense of the funds industry generally in Gibraltar, James, um, it's I know it's 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 relatively small compared to other jurisdictions, but it, it's a, an area you're you're heavily involved in. Absolutely, I um, I was among the the uh, three people who proposed our current funds legislation to the government uh, 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago. And I drafted a lot of the funds legislation in Gibraltar. I have been chairman or deputy chairman of the Gibraltar Funds and Investments Association for the last 15 years. So I'm, uh, and I'm head of the funds department at Hassan's, which is the largest firm and the largest funds department in Gibraltar. So this has been very much what I have been focusing on for the last 20 years or so. And the funds that you have domiciled in Gibraltar, they tend to be alternatives? Yes, very much so, very, very much so. Um, but the whole range of alternatives, there's no asset class that is really, until recently, until crypto, there was no asset class that was more favored than others. So from the hedge fund strategies to the uh, um, arbitrage to, uh, to, to, to real estate um, or private equity. Well, let's chat about crypto funds then. How did it come about in terms of, I assume it was, well, was it driven by promoter interest or investor interest or, or where, did, where, did the, where did the calls come from? Promoters. They wanted to know where to set up a crypto fund. And uh, we studied our funds legislation uh, and there was nothing in our legislation that prevented it. Mm -hmm. We went to the regulator just to make sure that they were happy with it. Because of course, as you very well know, know Danny, the, the, the first commandment of dealing with a regulator is that thou shalt not um, surprise that regulator. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, you'd have the tattooed on, 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 the, on your arm. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, and so when it came to creating regulated crypto funds. Did you adjust? Did you need to adjust your funds law or was it a matter of taking the law and the principles and applying it to the product and adjusting it to the asset class that you're dealing with? Remarkably, we didn't have to adjust anything. It, okay. was, just, it was so flexible that uh, it was completely agnostic on the asset class and we were able to crypto funds um, with it, within the existing legislation and we just got a letter from the regulator confirming that they were okay with us using this legislation for crypto funds. Okay, and I know as a, an ex-regulator, um, you know, first and foremost in your mind is risk and, and what happens and what could go wrong and, and how would you try to mitigate and, and manage uh, those risks. Uh, what was, I assume that was the attitude of the Gibraltar regulator, was it that they would look at how are you going to do this in a way that, that identifies risks and then manages them? Yes, although I, it actually came from the industry first because we realized that there was nothing in the legislation that would prevent you from setting up a crypto fund. Um, there wasn't any guidance in the legislation as to how you should do it. We thought how do we implement this guidance? And we thought that it probably would not be best to do it through additional legislation. Um, and since we had experience already with drawing up a code of conduct for regulated funds, um, which incidentally 
we were quite inspired by the Irish, the IFIA Code of Conduct for Funds, uh, when, we, when we were drafting that. So uh, we thought we would do it through uh, a Code of Conduct for Crypto Funds. And it turned out to be the first of its kind, um, which, uh, which, which got some, some uh, very positive uh, notoriety. And, and do you find then that a market standard is emerging in Gibraltar around how promoters and providers approach issues like valuation and safekeeping and uh, operations and market infrastructure? Yes, uh, the, the, the code doesn't tell you how you have to do things. It rather, like, like the Irish code, at least at the time, was, is comply or explain. So it says, these are the issues that you have to address. Uh, this is how we suggest you, you address them. You don't, but if, and if you don't address them in the way we suggest, then you need to document once a year for the regulator to explain why you did it differently and how you achieved the same outcome. And has the code been widely adopted? Do you find more firms complying than explaining? Very much so. Uh, well, it depends on it depends on 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 which area. So for example, um, in the area of multi-signature wallets, um, that I think is is very well complied with. In the area, however, of trying to get insurance for the fund, it's almost impossible. So, and and when we wrote the code four years ago, uh, and it, we we said that we realized that the industry is in its infancy and it'll take a while for insurers to come around to offering uh, insurance for crypto funds. Uh, but we hope that will be the case in the near future. Um, four years later, we updated the code and we're still, we're still in that situation. Where no it, it is very hard to get insurance. It's, it is better than it was, but it's still difficult. And you mentioned the multi-signature wallets. Um, can you just talk us through a little bit how you approach safekeeping of crypto assets? Of course. So the code addresses a lot of areas that you're not used to addressing in the context of, uh, of, of uh, fiat funds, if you will. Um, normally with a fiat fund, you will have your depository, your broker, and <clears throat> uh, the asset classes will be kept in whatever scenario is the best to keep them, but you don't have these digital wallets that, um, uh, that, that are just very different from any, from any nor normal account. So you have to consider how to control the, the assets and the dealing with a regulated entity. You never want to have one person with the ability to move value out of the funds accounts. Um, that is probably the, the, the one constant, the most important constant obligation of a director is to ensure the assets are safe. Um, and they can't be safe if one person can move them without consent of the rest of the directors. So the reality with crypto funds is that a lot of the assets will be kept in digital wallets. And uh, so you have to strive to, to, to keep them in a way such that one person cannot move the assets without consent of the others. And the co-signatories, do they tend to be directors or does is there an independent depository who gets involved in all of this? 
the depositaries so far are are are, um, are very reluctant to go anywhere near crypto um, for a number of reasons, and so it tends to be a combination of the directors or the fund administrators. Um, generally, we try to have only regulated people uh, controlling the the accounts. So, if you have the two in, in Gibraltar, you have two directors who have to be authorized by the Gibraltar regulator to be uh, on, on the board. You can have further directors, but um, those two specifically have to be authorized. And so we try to have them or the fund administrators who are also regulated or the investment manager who, who will also be regulated. And does it prove cumbersome then if you have, for example, your directors as part of the signatory process to have them involved in the day-to-day operations of the fund? It can be, but remember what's important is the ability to transfer value out of the wallets. Trading is not something that that the directors need to be uh, involved with because it remains within the ecosystem. And so the the, the managers will know better than the directors what the fund, what investments the fund should be making. It's only when you try to move assets out of the fund's ecosystem that you really need director involvement. And uh, are there other issues like, for example, the market infrastructure and how you choose what exchanges you're going to deal with um, that are you know, is that something that the, I guess, the, the promoter and the, the, the provider think about and, and the directors as well? Or how do they approach that? Well, the promoters are, are, are likely to deal with the exchanges that they feel are, more, are most user-friendly. Um, the code encourages you to deal with regulated exchanges. And remarkably, uh, many of the exchanges are not yet regulated. And... So you have to take a take a view and and um, deal with the exchanges that where the promoters feel they can still earn the profits that they intend for their investors, while trying to remain as much as possible within the regulated sphere. So it it, it does occur that we will have to deal with unregulated exchanges, um, but that is that is slowly changing and the market is moving more towards the regulated exchanges. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, as we, we look at, and we maybe chat in a minute about the, the market turmoil at the moment, but, um, you know, it kind of spreads into some of the providers of the uh, exchanges and the infrastructure around uh, crypto assets. And so um, it does beg the question is how you, how you do as much as you can. But I guess an important part then is how the funds are distributed and who they are marketed to. Are they solely available to your sophisticated investors or, or is it a broader base than that? The regulated funds in Gibraltar uh, are, are exclusively for experienced investors. Um, uh, Gibraltar has its own definition of experienced investors, but it's basically, it's, it's not the orphans and widows uh, you, you, you might expect. There is a private fund product, which is, which is completely unregulated. Um, and so there, there's no particular qualification on investors, but the, the code actually discourages setting up crypto funds as private funds, unless it's really the case that it's the money of, uh, of one family or one promoter trying to 
create a track record in order to set up a regulated fund at a later date. Uh, and as you, you know, we, we look at the market at the moment in June 2022, uh, cryptocurrencies having a tough time, they're, they're down quite considerably on the year. Having said that, so are a lot of equity stocks as well. So it's not unique to them. Um, are you seeing that have an impact on providers? Are they, has the interest in crypto funds died away? Does it remain? Uh, are they seeing withdrawals or, or what's, your, what's your sense for how the current market environment is impacting on crypto funds? Well, we, it, it's too early, I think, to, to, to see withdrawals. Um, people are used to the volatility of this market. And if anything, uh, there seems to be more of an urgency to set up funds quickly to take advantage of, of this opportunity, of this market opportunity, where it's, it's particularly low. Um, and people realize, or I think there's a, there's a feeling that it will jump, I don't know whether, whether back to where it was before, or but it'll be at a higher place than it is now. And that now is probably a really good time to invest. So you're continuing to see interest from providers that they're actually, this is a good time to bring a product to market. Thankfully so, yes. Good, good. Well, it is, it's certainly interesting and it is a, such a new asset class uh, that the volatility, I guess, is, is not unexpected. Um, and maybe it's just part of the, the process of maturing as, a, uh, as an asset class that investors have to go through to get used to. I mean, it's clear that as time goes by, the peaks and the troughs will be uh, closer to the median than they have been in the past. Um, but there still are many opportunities on the, on the markets because the markets are still fairly unsophisticated. And so there are huge arbitrage opportunities. There are, there are huge um, uh, DeFi opportunities. There, 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 there are a lot of opportunities on these markets. Um, and uh, uh, where investors and promoters can can can, um, uh, can can see returns in in a in a in a very different time frame that you might with fiat assets. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you find this, James. Uh, I certainly have when dealing with people who are heavily involved in the crypto space. I think you tended to have people who were believers. Uh, you know, that they really believed in this technology as a force for good and as a, uh, uh, you know, a massive um, change mechanism. Um, and I think it's kind of evolved into being more, you know, you find a lot of speculators in the space. Uh, I wonder whether this market turmoil is going to kind of weed some of the speculators out and, and moved on. Well, not obviously the believers are still there, but that it becomes more of a, I guess, a, an option as a more of a mainstream um, type of asset class. Well, the the, the believers will, will remain for a while, um, but the the movements in the market, I think, it I think actually encourages uh, speculators. Obviously, many of the speculators will have been hurt, but there will be another generation after them who will see this as a tremendous opportunity to get back in. And outside of uh, cryptocurrencies, James, do you see interest in you know, other types of digital assets, whether it's NFTs or the use of tokenization, are you seeing a broader movement? Very much so. Gibraltar ha has, uh, has three regimes 
to deal with blockchain. Um, one is the crypto, the crypto funds, which actually doesn't deal with them with, with crypto specifically. It just allows you to work in the crypto ecosystem. The second one is the virtual asset service provider, um, which is if you want to issue tokens, um, so you have a sort of anti-money laundering registration regime. Um, but beyond that, we have a third regime, which is fairly unique. Um, and we've had it since the 1st of January, 2018, which says that if you want to store or transmit value on the blockchain on behalf of third parties, you need a full, what we call DLT license. And that implies, uh, it implies uh, offices, staff, capitalization, processes, manuals. Um, and uh, um, it, it's really a financial services style uh, license, almost like a MIFID license, which is what you would expect because this is if someone wants to set up a, um, a system of, uh, of, of uh, crypto wallets. So the, the, the investors will want to know that there's some regulation, that there's some thought behind this product that there's some disaster recovery uh, in place. And it has been quite, in a way, counterintuitive, but not really um, counterintuitive because we would have thought that people would avoid Gibraltar because it's regulated in this space. But again, because the, 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 the investors and, and, the, and the customers want to deal with regulated products, there, the promoters are seeking because it provides a regulated space um, to to deal with the with the with these uh, with this type of business. Yeah, absolutely. There's certainly a great comfort from an investor's perspective, and um, I, I guess a, a badge if you are a firm and you get uh, an authorization. Is that an authorization? That DLT authorization issued by the regulator, the financial services regulator in Gibraltar. Exactly. In fact, there was a discussion back in back in the day whether there should be a separate regulator uh, for DLT, and eventually the decision was, and I'm glad they took this decision was to, was to put it within the remit of the Gibraltar Financial Services Commission, because um, most of these projects are financial in nature, and so they have the best tools to to deal with them. And did the DLT providers tend to be Firms that are in the the tradfi space, so so traditional finance re regulated financial services providers that are broadening their offering, or do they tend to be like fintechs or startups or, or newer firms that this is their first experience of financial services regulation? It's a con it's a it, it, it's a um, a confluence of 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 startups, but mostly larger fintechs because it, it's a it's a fairly um, it's a fairly onerous license to 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 get. Um, uh, you know, it's it's a good a good few months and capitalization and everything. Um, so it generally isn't real startups that start up from nothing, but it will be fintech companies. Uh, they're more disruptors. Um, it's not so much the uh, the tradfi firms getting into this. Uh, absolutely, um, and you're you're right. Like the barriers to entry are high and need because of the, you know, the, the role that they play to essentially protect investors. 
you right. do firms there who have a bit of a bit enough about them to have a compliance regime in place and have the capital in place. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, and when you think then down the tracks a little bit, James, um, do you see that maybe the the traditional finance firms catching up in this? Do they? set up their own DLT? Do they acquire? Do they leave this alone for, for somebody else to play in? We're beginning to see them getting into it. Um, there's an exemption under the DLT regulations that says that if you want to use blockchain within the context of your existing financial services license, then you don't need a specific uh, license for it. But a lot of service providers and occasionally even the regulator are taking the view that if this is a new area of business that isn't really covered by your, say, by your MIFID or by your banking license, then, then you do need to apply for a DLT license. But we are seeing banks uh, considering applying for DLT licenses. And we're also seeing, very interestingly, the inverse, which is DL DLT firms applying for uh, banking licenses, e-money institution licenses, and and so uh, MIFID licenses, and so on. Yeah, wow. Um, it is uh, it is difficult, I guess, for tradfi firms to be as agile um, and to change and adapt and understand what this uh, new technology does and, and what it brings, and to be able to, to grasp the opportunity um, as quickly as obviously a. a, a fintech firm where this is their bread and butter uh, to provide this kind of service and to disrupt. Um, so it will be very interesting to see how that plays out uh, into the future. Indeed. Indeed, yes. And um, just to wrap up then, I guess within the EU, the, you know, the, there is a lot of focus from the Commission on you know, how the economy in, in the EU can be more developed and more, um, you know, innovative. And so there is a lot of work around uh, regulation on the on the side of digital assets with the markets and crypto assets regulation and, and other uh, regulatory regimes to come forward. Uh, in Gibraltar, do you pay attention to these? Do you kind of keep a, a close eye on what goes on across the way? Um, do you kind of plow your own furrow or, or how does it, how does, the, the EU agenda kind of impact you guys? Well, in this, in, in this case, we were so far in advance of the EU that, that our, our regime has been in place since 2018. Uh, Mika only came into uh, to existence as a draft, uh, I guess, a year and a half ago. Um, so we are, we are certainly very, very cognizant of of the, the developments in the EU, and we're watching them with great interest, um, but we're very far uh, we're very far ahead. So much so that, and and we can be because we're so much smaller. It's not that you know uh, anyone is better than anyone else. Just that we're so much smaller that we that, that, that that's something we can do. Um, but we now even have European firms coming to Gibraltar to establish their DLT businesses. Just because we have a regime that works, um, and uh, and the Mika regime will still be a while, a while before it is effective. Yeah, absolutely, and there will be learning involved, um, sure. an industry and a regulatory perspective in terms of how best to approach and authorize them and supervise these firms. 
So I guess James hadn't stolen the march and the rest uh, in terms of grasping the importance and, and having a regime for crypto funds. Um, where do you see the Gibraltar landscape being in, in a few years down the tracks? Do you think it's a, a, a position that you'd be maintaining and, and because you already have experience in the bank, you'd be, you'd be the, the, the leaders in this for a time to come? I believe so, and and I, but I believe so because we are we're not being uh, we're not complacent at all. We're still constantly trying to improve our uh, our, our legislation and our and our grasp of of the markets. Um, the DLT legislation was based on non principles, um, so it's not prescriptive like a MIFID license or a banking license. It's there are nine principles that you need to adhere to, and you need to demonstrate how you adhere to them. Um, and recently, the regulator brought out, brought out a tenth principle because we felt that market stability was something that needed to be addressed separately from from the other principles. Uh, similarly, in the in the fund space, um, we made it so that funds because since Gibraltar and the UK are, 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 are sadly, if I may say, uh, out of the EU, um, but then why should Gibraltar funds have to comply with AIFMD? So Gibraltar funds now can actually elect to opt out of the AIFMD regime because if they no longer will have the passport, neither should they have the, the burden of the additional regulation. So now Gibraltar funds and crypto funds in particular uh, can compete with the likes of the Channel Islands and the Caribbean jurisdictions. Um, and in the context of, of crypto funds, that is particularly important because it's, it's going to be, well, it's going to be a while before an AFIM depository is prepared to take responsibility for crypto assets. So a AIFMD and crypto do not marry well together uh, and, and will not for, 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 for a while to come. But certainly when you put such a high liability standard on a depository, uh, as they do in AIFMD, it would give yeah. a lot of pause, sort of cause to, to, to pause and think before, you, uh, before you're willing to enter into that sector. So you're right that there's plenty to do there yet. James, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate it and the insights that you've been able to give us. Um, it's really interesting to, uh, to understand how Gibraltar has approached the issues around crypto funds. Um, and see how, how well it's developing in the jurisdictions. So again, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Danny. It's been a, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. The Equest Podcast, funds industry conversations.